Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. You know, over the past few years, we've seen an explosion in dating reality TV shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, Love Island, X on the Beach, First Dates, Beauty and the Geek, The Proposal, and the list goes on and on. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't watch these shows, uh, but I do have a secret confession to make. I did watch the first season of Married at First Sight. I was intrigued, I was fascinated uh, in, in how the power of covenant and exclusive commitment in an unsighted way, would go, unsighted way would go in our culture. And I think that we've seen over the seasons that it doesn't go very well. The show, like many others, has plunged into a strange form of fame-hunting narcissism and sensationalism, which reaffirms the hyper-individualistic world in which we live. In a covenantal, sacrificial relationship cannot and will not exist in such an environment. But today, we've been invited into another reality show. I don't know if you picked up on this, but, but these passages in Ruth are loaded. They are sexually charged pieces of scripture, of, literal, uh, of literature. And if I was gonna call this story anything in today's language, I'd call it the barley farmer wants a wife. Or maybe the barley farmer didn't know he wanted a wife but ends up with a wife. But that, I'm not sure if that would sell uh, in today's TV language. But there is a difference with this story compared to the stories that we watch on our TV screens uh, each week. You see, we see that there's a different outcome. We see that the approach to love, the approach to relationship is vastly different. And whilst, and I will, I will say this up front, whilst this may not be God's recommended way of pursuing relationship, what I love about the Bible is it's prepared to show the story, whether it's good, whether it's bad, or whether it's indifferent. And what we do know about Ruth and Boaz throughout this is they are both people of good and noble character. Their hearts are pure and their hearts are for the other, which perhaps can't be said about some of the TV shows, the dating TV shows that we watch today. They are filled and this is a narrative that we've picked up over this series. They are filled with a hesed love. That word hesed is a Hebrew word which speaks of God's love, his covenantal, sacrificial, faithful, kind, compassionate love. And as we've seen throughout this, script, throughout this book, that love also sits in the heart of Boaz and of Ruth. If there's a big idea, big idea that I want us to pick up on today as we finish this story, it's this. It's our participation, our participation, like Boaz and Ruth, our participation in God's purposes, in his love, in his hesed, 
is participation in God's redemption story. See, when we participate in God's love, in his purposes for us, we are actually stepping into a far greater story. We're stepping into the great story of history, the great salvation narrative. We are stepping into redemption history. And we see it firstly with Ruth. Ruth participates in God's love in his purposes. Ruth shows a courageous kindness. Firstly, she shows courage. We read that she listens and obeys to the words of her mother-in-law. That's courageous. I'm not sure, mother-in-law, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I could always do that. Sorry, Jackie. You know, she shows a great courage in listening to Naomi and not only listening, but doing it. And, and what Naomi comes up with, this, this plan, is it's, it's crazy. I mean, it takes serious courage to do what Ruth does, steps into this proposal. She says to Ruth, Ruth, you need to get dressed up. You need to put on perfume. You need to look and smell great to increase your chances of Boaz marrying you. This is going to be an important proposal. And I know what that feels like. I know what Ruth was going through. Now, I remember when I proposed to Megan, I, I knew at the time that Megan was not expecting me to propose. Like a lot of couples these days, they've already, they've already spoken about the ring. They've already kind of agreed. You know, there's already been the call. None of that had happened. I'd secretly gone and got the ring and I knew Megan wasn't expecting a proposal. We'd been dating six months. She hadn't met my family. I knew that was a big thing for her. And so I knew that as I prepared to get on one knee, I needed to increase my chances of Megan saying yes. And so I went all out. I mean, I, I, I prepared this beautiful breakfast. I went and picked her up uh, for, uh, before work and we went down and we sat on a boardwalk just overlooking the Thames in London. It was a summer's morning there. I had summer fruit and croissants and coffee and orange juice. My friends had helped set it up. She didn't even twig. There's just this beautiful picnic table spread set up just sitting there in public. And we sat down and we enjoyed it. Then I gave her some letters. There was a letter after just buttering, buttering her up and telling her how beautiful she was and how special she was to me. You know, I, I gave her a letter from my family and they'd written a beautiful letter saying how much they loved her and how much they loved, you know, what was going on with the relationship. Then I gave her a letter from my boss, from her boss, sorry. <laughs> Not my boss, her boss. Let me give you context. She had no more leave left. I got her boss to write her a letter to give her a day off. And in that letter were two tickets to Barcelona for the day. I know. There was no way when I pulled up those 12 roses that were hanging over the boardwalk, she was going to say no. I didn't give her a choice. I went all out because I needed her to say yes. And then when, she, when, she, when it got to that moment, got on my knee, she didn't say anything. I'm still not quite sure whether she said yes or not, but we did get married. I, I, I know what Ruth, it, took, it takes courage, doesn't it? Whenever you put yourself out in a vulnerable position, it takes courage. 
Ruth not only listened to the words of her mother-in-law, but she actually did it. It was a vulnerable and courageous act. I mean, firstly, as she walked into the threshing floor, there is that threshing barley. She was, she was putting herself in a vulnerable position. You know, at the very least, embarrassment. As she, she walked in late at night when all the men were sleeping and she came and she lay at the feet of Boaz and then unveiled his feet. That's a courageous move. I mean, Boaz could have rejected her. He could have laughed at her. What are you doing? Get out, you silly woman. You know, when she put herself in that place, she was putting herself in a place of great vulnerability. She could have and she risked rejection. But not only that, remember all these blokes on a threshing floor at night, she put herself in great danger of abuse. I mean, this is a very sensual picture. She's got herself ready and, and we, 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 we can't gloss over this. She's put, this, is a, this is a very sexual, sensual picture. She comes and she lies at the feet of Boaz and, and, and unveils his feet. She's actually doing something. She's proposing something. She's putting herself in a very dangerous position. She's putting herself at the mercy of Boaz. What we do know is that, that the way in which Boaz responds, he understands that there is some kind of cultural cue. What she does, while we don't understand what's going on, what, you know, what does that mean, unveiling or you know, show, exposing his feet? We don't know what that means in our culture today, but clearly Boaz understood that as some form of proposal, some form of leaning in. She places herself in a place of vulnerability where she could have been taken advantage of. And thirdly, she puts herself in a place of vulnerability where Boaz could have accused her of inappropriate action. And we know this because Boaz says to her later, he says, make sure you go quietly. No one should know that you were with me. You were here tonight. Boaz could have turned around and accused her of a whole range of things. He could have turfed her out and then made her name mud, this Moabite woman coming in. She was placing herself in a place of great vulnerability. It was courageous. What Ruth did was deeply courageous. But Boaz receives it as kindness. This is a beautiful thing, that Boaz understands not only what Ruth has done, he understands all the social cues of what she has done, but he also identifies her as a woman of great character, of noble character, he says. You are a woman of noble character. And more than that, he receives the offer of Ruth as deep hesed kindness. In verse 10 and 11, we read this, the Lord bless you, he responds, my daughter, you know, just even the language, you are getting the age difference. He refers to her as his daughter. This kindness, this hesed love is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now my daughter. Don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are, as I said before, a woman of noble character. Boaz receives this act of Ruth 
as deep, loving kindness. Ruth, you, you could have gone after younger men. Why, why are you pursuing me? Ruth, why are you interested in me? I am old now. You don't need me. You could go after someone much younger who can care for you in your old age. Why are you coming after me? But Boaz understands and sees that there is something about her character that reflects the love of God. Ruth carries the hesed kindness of God. As commentator Lawson Younger Jr. says, true covenant faith is expressed by the concern for the welfare of others. In our story, the story that we're reading now, this concern is expressed by loving actions of hesed that promote the other person's well-being and by verbal expressions of prayer for the other person. What we see here is selfless love. It's not a picture of what we see in many of the TV shows today. This is a posture of sacrificial, selfless, other-centered, courageous, kind love. And that's what we're invited to participate in as well. You see, what we see here, what we read here, the character of Ruth is a challenge for us as well, to actually be courageous in our love, to be courageous in the way in which we love. See, to love means to step out with vulnerability. It means to actually, you know, to, for your heart to be seen. To step out in vulnerability, to express love is for that love to be rejected. If, 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 it, if, it, if it can't, if your heart is protected, then it's not love. Ruth shows us what hesed love looks like. And hesed love is always a step of courage. It's always a step of vulnerability. God calls us to walk in that way, to walk with that vulnerable, generous kind of love. We are to be people who express love. Not the love of married at first sight, but the selfless love, the sacrificial love that doesn't look out for what I can get out of it, but purely what I can give away. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, again in a, in a time Corinth is a, a sexually charged city, very sensual in, in its outlook in life. And Paul writes to the church that's grappling with this, probably similar in many ways to the culture today, which is, as we know, highly sexualized. And he writes about true love. It's a verse that's often read at weddings today. And he writes these words from verse four of chapter 30. He says, love is patient, Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. He goes on to write in verse 13, and now these, th these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love always works its way out. And when it works its way out, it takes courage, takes vulnerability, and it's others-centered. That is what love does. That is what Paul tells us about the character of love. It's what Ruth shows us about love.
It's courageous. It's kind. It's generous. It's hesed, God kind of love. And this hesed love that Ruth offers to Boaz is reciprocated in kind. Boaz in turn offers love. He shows covenantal kindness. He wakes up. Maybe he felt the draft on his ankle. I, I, I don't know what happened. But he, can you imagine? You know, he's, he's lying on the threshing floor. There's a smell of barley everywhere. He smells something else. He wakes up and, oh, my ankle. Oh, my goodness, who is there? Who are you, he says. I mean, he's met Ruth before, but it must have been dark. What in the world are you doing? That would have freaked me out. And as he looks at Ruth, as he converses with her, he reveals and shows a covenantal kindness. He goes beyond, as we read in chapter four, he goes beyond the obligations of the law. See, he actually wasn't responsible to look after Ruth. That's the thing. He wasn't the first in line to be the, to, to be the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. But he forces the issue. He says, well, someone needs to look after Ruth. She's come to me. She's revealed herself to me. Something must be done. But at the end of the day, he didn't have any rights, legal rights at that time. Yes, he was in the line, but he wasn't the first one, so he forces the issue. Now, what is a guardian redeemer anyway? What's a kinsman redeemer to use the old language anyway? It's kind of like something that we're not really used to. Well, I kind of use it, it's kind of like the Old Testament version of life insurance. It's kind of like if something goes wrong in your life, then you've got coverage. It's got, and if you read through Leviticus, I know it's one of the most exciting books in the Bible. Um, maybe go away today and, and have, dive into Leviticus. Great read, like Ruth. And, and yes, it's full of legal document. But actually, it was given by God to enable the nation of Israel to flourish and to be kept secure and safe and protected. And part of that was this whole concept of a guardian redeemer, which protected people if something horrific, like in the case, case of Naomi and Ruth, went wrong. And it's, 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 it's a protection policy. And so we read in Leviticus 25, you can go and read this later if you want, about how people were to care for one another and care for their family. In Leviticus 25, verse 25, we read this about property. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. You've got to understand that land was very important to the people of Israel. And, wanted, and, and, and so to be held within a family estate was of, of great value, of great importance. But it wasn't just for property, it was for persons as well. And we read in verse 47 this, if a foreigner residing among you becomes rich and any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to a foreigner or to a member of the foreigner's clan, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. So they can buy themselves out. But it's very difficult if you've lost all your money to actually earn money to buy yourself out. So we keep reading, one of their relatives may redeem them. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them. Or if they prosper, they may redeem themselves. That is what is going on here. They've lost everything. Ruth has nothing. Naomi has nothing. 
Boaz understands this, but he's not the closest in line. And so we see this very strange transaction. He forces the issue. He goes to the next in line and says, hey, do you want to buy these guys? Do you want to pay? Do you want to redeem? The guy goes, no, I don't want to. I'm out. So Boaz does this strange thing where he gets all the elders together, the leaders together, and they take off their sandal and they do this kind of strange thing again. You know, we don't do that today, do we? It's kind of like you buy a house and then you take off your shoe and go, done, deal, sold. It's how it was back then. Boaz understands the obligations of the law. He's not under the law necessarily, but he fulfills the obligations of the law. It's his hesed love. It's his covenantal love. And just as Boaz redeems Ruth, so we too are redeemed by Jesus. Jesus did not need to fulfill the obligations of the law to us. We are in, we are deserving of death. But God chooses to step down from heaven to earth. He fulfills his He fulfills the law in order that we may be set free from the obligations of the law. Just as Boaz did it for Ruth, so Jesus has done it for us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, in one of his great sermons, well, it is the great sermon on the mount. He says, I have come in order to fulfill the law. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish or remove the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. As we continue the story of Jesus, we see that he is the great redeemer. He is the one who dies for our debt. We cannot pay the debt. We're like Ruth and Naomi. We cannot buy our way out. We are all sinners. We have all walked away from God. We've rejected him. None of us are holy. None of us can buy our way back to God. And so we are deserving of his wrath of death. But God in his great mercy, we read, died for us while we were still sinners. He sacrificed himself for us. He wasn't obliged to but he fulfilled the law in order that we may be redeemed, in order that we may have, as Ephesians says, we may have access to all the great riches of God's mercy. Jesus is our great redeemer. So there in turn, just as Jesus is now the great high priest who has fulfilled all things, we are called like Ruth and Boaz to go and extend love to others. In Hebrews chapter 13, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but Hebrews, the writer, kind of grapples with some of this Levitical stuff, some of the, some of the, the, the sacrificial practices of the Old Testament and, and matches it up with Jesus and how Jesus has fulfilled all of the Old Testament law and functions. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer goes on to say, therefore, these are the implications for us. Hebrews 13, one to eight says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. You can feel that, you can hear that in Boaz's love with Ruth. 
do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some, for by doing so, doing some, for by doing, for by so doing, (laughs) some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all sexual, sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never Will I forsake you? God's hesed love. So, I, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for us remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Go and do likewise. And here's the thing. As we do so, as we walk in the love that God gives us, as He fills us with His love, as we're filled with His Holy Spirit, as we know this transforming work in our lives, we are set free to go and love others. In fact, we're commanded to. Jesus tells us, I'm giving you one command, love as I have loved you. And as we do, we are invited up into the great redemption story. We are participants in the great redemption story. We get to see redemption break out wherever we go. And profoundly, we see this in the story of Ruth and Boaz. As they walk in Hesed love, Ultimately, God uses their story to tell a great redemption story. Can I finish the story? Let's read the last few sentences of this story. In chapter four, verses 13, we read this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. I just wanna hit pause there for a moment. What happened at the start of the story? Naomi is taken to Moab where her husband dies and her boys die. That's within the first few sentences of Ruth. We land here right at the end of the story in new life where there was death at the beginning. Now Naomi in this picture is holding a baby boy. It's a picture of new life. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. What ends in death, sorry, what starts in death ends in life and it ends in a redemption story. We know the rest of the story, don't we? King David. King David becomes the great king of Israel and from the line of King David, we see that Jesus is born, the great redeemer of the whole world. You gotta imagine Ruth, Naomi, Boaz ever conceiving that this would be the end of the story. But here's the thing, God wants to use all of us. He used Ruth, Naomi, Boaz for his great redemption story, his great purposes. And he wants to use us as well. He can use us and he will use us if we are willing to allow him to work and move in our life. If we're willing to walk in his hesed, faithful, kind love. Because as we do, as we walk with courage and vulnerability and faithfulness, filled with his love, we will not be able to but be kind, spread love and bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. You see, God uses small people. God uses small people. Ruth was a small person. She was an outsider. She was a Moabite. She was someone who was insignificant to the people of Israel and seemingly insignificant to the plan of God in human history. Just a woman, small woman out in the distance. God uses small people. I was reading last night just the, the song that Mary sang, a teenager who becomes pregnant with the saviour of the world and she writes a song and she says these words and Mary said, we're coming to Christmas so I thought it would be appropriate, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For, mighty, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary was a small person. Her great, 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 whatever, grandmother was a small person. I love what Galadriel says in Lord of the Rings. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. You might feel small. You might feel that what you do is insignificant, but God can and will use you if you let him. God uses small people. Secondly, God uses suffering people. We see that with Naomi. She says, as we found in, in chapter one, she comes home and she says, God Almighty has made my life bitter. And sometimes we walk through seasons of suffering and go, how can God use me? I reckon Naomi had that for most of her life. God has made my life bitter. How can, she, how can God use me? What is the purpose and point of my life? But she remained faithful to God. God used a suffering person and maybe you're walking through a season of suffering can I say that God is wanting to use you in your suffering he's wanting to shine through you in your suffering in fact often it's in your suffering that God uses you the most powerfully 
the most profoundly. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that great passage in Scripture. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed where? In us. There's something about suffering that reveals glory. There's something about suffering that reveals God in a profound way. He then goes on to say in verse 28 of chapter 8, and we know that in all things, I reckon Naomi could say this, and I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God uses suffering people. He used Naomi and he can use you. And thirdly, he can use selfless people. People who are willing to let go of everything and not fight for their own rights. That's Boaz. I mean, Boaz in his old age could have just said, Ruth, thank you, but no thanks. It's a hassle. I've actually got my retirement plans. I've, got, I've saved up my superannuation. I'm planning on going on 50 cruises for the next 20 years. That's not gonna work with you because that just doubles the cost. It's too much. I'm sorry, it's not gonna work. But Boaz didn't say that. He didn't see it that way. He was selfless in a culture that says it's all about us. God wants to take and use people who are willing to say, I am here to serve the other. I am here to love the other. God uses selfless people. I wanna encourage you with this. This is, a, this, this is a word as I was preparing this. I reckon some of you here today, receive this as the word for you. Some of you are sitting here today and you feel like all you've done is give out. And you're wondering what for. You're sitting and you go, I have, I have poured out my life. I have given my life. And, and perhaps this is to some of you mums here today. You've poured out your life to your kids. You've given yourself. And you wonder why. What about me time? Where's the reward? Where's, where's the giving back in all of this? And I feel like God wants to say to you, you don't know. And you may not see what you have, the investment that you have given in. Here's the thing, because here's the thing. Naomi never got to see King David. I'm pretty sure she died before she got to see David rise to the throne. I'm not even sure that Ruth, in her old age, would have seen her great, great, great grandson or great, great grandson. I haven't done, I haven't figured it out. See him rise to the throne of King of Israel. You know, we don't always see and know the effect of what we've poured out. All we are called to do is to be faithful, knowing that we are participating in God's redemption story. Be encouraged today. Those of you who feel tired and you've poured out, God sees it. God knows it. Trust him with it. You're part of his great redemption story. God uses the small. He uses the suffering and he uses the selfless. And I know that as we walk in this love, as we are filled with God's Hesed love, we will make a difference in our families, we will make a difference in our workplaces, and I know we'll make a difference in this city. And I'm so thankful to God that he has used us, simple old us, you know, to make a difference. 
even in the last year in this city with one another, to care for one another, to love one another, to love those who are on the outside, to love those who are in need. God is using us and it's a great joy. We need to celebrate this, that as we serve, as we love, we are participating in God's redemptive plan. We are participating in God's redemption story. And that is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. God is using us. He's at work amongst us as we walk in love. And I celebrate, I just wanna say, I wanna thank you so much for your love and your care and your support with one another over this year. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, for the the last part of this service, we're actually gonna say thank you to God and we're gonna say thank you to one another for what he has done in and through us as a community this year. And so what I'd love for us to do is where in a moment we're going to watch a video from Jason who's going to just, again, share his, his thanks, but also give us an update on what God has been doing throughout our campuses. And then we're going to celebrate what God has been doing in this campus. Is that okay? And, and to do that, we need to have some fun because you're allowed to have fun in church. So we're just gonna, we're gonna hand out, I don't know how many we've got, PJ. We're just gonna be handing out a few uh, party blowers as well because we're gonna get noisy. And in the appropriate moments, feel free to blow uh, these party, party uh, blowers. The kids are actually gonna come in in a moment during the video because uh, we want everyone to be part of this and we're gonna be uh, celebrating that. So um, let me pray. I'm gonna pray and give thanks Then we're gonna watch this video and then I'm gonna be up and we're gonna be having a bit of fun together and uh, celebrating what God is doing in our community. Can we pray just as we do that? Let's pause. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this great story of Ruth. Lord God, a picture of, of people who are faithful and obedient to you in strange and hard seasons. But God, we thank you that no matter how small they were, no matter how hard life was. God, you took their sacrificial love and you used it for a redemption purpose. And God, thank you that we are invited into that same story. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that Jesus came to redeem us. And because we are redeemed, we can know life, joy, and hope, and we can give it away. We can give away love selflessly because we know we are loved. And we thank you for that and we celebrate that as a church today. In Jesus' name and everybody said. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.